This is Beekeeper Confidential. I'm your sneezing, coughing, congested, achy-headed host, Mandy Shaw. At this time last year, I had already caught five or six swarms. This year, zero. I know it's because we've had a cool and wet April, but I'm really in need of a swarm adrenaline boost. And if you're a swarm catcher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now that we're in active beekeeping season, I feel like there is so much that goes on between episodes of this show that I want to share with you, but I don't want to take away from my guest interviews. So what do you think about mini episodes where I get into what I'm doing with my bees? Do you love that idea? Do you hate it? Let me know. Today's guest is an organic farmer and beekeeper from here in Oregon. She and her partner became inspired to start a business, grow organic food, and use sustainable farming practices when they fell in love while hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. We talk about veggies, wildfire smoke, chickens, pesticides, beehives, and just how long a person could withstand a stinger in their neck. Meet Ruby Reed from Valhalla Organics. Hi, this is Mandy. Hi, Mandy. How's it going? Good. How are you? Excellent. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for chatting with me. Well, thanks for having me on. How's the weather there today? Well, down in the valley, it's pretty beautiful. We had a little sprinkle of rain this morning, but it's really sunny. It's always stunning to me. We go from like winter to summer very fast here. And where are you exactly? We have two locations, so we have a little mini farm in Talent where we rent um, a duplex that has a front yard and a backyard, mm-hmm. and then we have a property that's five acres up in Klamath County near Bonanza, and that's where the beehives are, oh, and nice. we're developing an off-grid farm up there. So how long have you been doing the whole farm thing? Well, my fiance and I met in 2015 when we were both hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, so we met in a town called Bishop in the middle of California, Trail Town, and uh, started hiking together north on the Pacific Crest Trail. And by the time we crossed the Oregon border, we knew, you know, we wanted to stay together and we were looking for a place to settle. We basically Aww. fell in love with the Rogue Valley. <sighs> yeah, right? <gasps> That's amazing. So, yeah. So we found this little duplex and... We moved in here, we got some chickens, we built a big vegetable bed in the backyard, and we were lucky enough that there's a plum tree and an apple tree in the front yard, and there's blackberries in the backyard, so we already had food growing on the property already, which mm-hmm. was incredible, 
And so we just started producing a lot more food than the two of us could possibly eat. And so I was giving away jams and jellies and pickles. I taught myself how to can because we just had all this fresh produce and fruit. Wow. And, you know, you can you can tell who your really good friends are when you're constantly giving things away. And then your good friends will be like, you have to take some money for this. And you're like, no, no, just take, please take it away from this house. You know, just eat it. All the zucchini, all the tomatoes, <laughs> take them. Um, you know, so people would like hide money and, you know, I'd find it in places like, oh. Oh, <laughs> so my God. Yeah, it was just people were like, you should be selling this. You should, you know, you have all this excess. And so we started doing the farmer's market last year. And it was just incredibly much more successful than I ever could have hoped or dreamed. When we just thought, well, you know, we'll sell a few extra jars of pickles and jelly and it'll bring some supplemental income. It'll help us build our off-grid farm. Uh, But I was actually able to completely leave my former career and work for Valhalla Organics for myself. Oh my Um, gosh, that's so amazing. Now, what were you doing in your former career? You know, I was a community organizer. So I was working with communities um, I was in California, and so I was organizing communities basically from Bakersfield to the Oregon border, um, and then I worked for a national organization where I was helping to elect local officials like mayors and school board members and oh real kind of scrappy actual people that wanted to solve problems in their communities and helping them uh, raise money and organize people and win. Have you always been interested in gardening? Yes. Since I was a tiny little girl, my parents had, we had a little backyard um, when I was growing up, and I had a little plot that was just mine. And it, when I was small, seemed like a really big plot. It was probably like two by three. <laughs> really oh small. Um, yeah, so I planted, you know, pink and purple flowers. We called it the pink and purple garden. I think some of the bulbs actually probably still come up. Oh, and, wow. Um, yeah, so... My mom grew vegetables in the backyard, and it was the way that she got my brother and me excited about eating vegetables. We would eat anything that came out of the backyard, but, you know, we weren't going to eat peas or lettuce or anything that came from the store. That's like a gross vegetable, right? But, like, the head of lettuce that we grew in the backyard, we thought it was hilarious for eating this head, you know? So, (laughs) Do you think that that's something that children growing up today are missing out on? Yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of people who are our age missed out on it as well, Mm -hmm. because people in our parents' generation may have had those skills and experiences, but they didn't necessarily pass it on or share it with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel really lucky that my parents were people that, you know, we grew food in the backyard. My mom sewed a lot of my clothes. My dad built most of the furniture in the house. Like we did repairs ourselves. And so I just, I didn't know that was not normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I, I thought everybody has a garden and knows yeah. about worms and the dirt and why they're important. But, you know, you grow up and you realize that, oh, other people don't have these skills. And so it's been really important to me to kind of be sharing with people um, mm-hmm. anything that I know. I'm really excited to tell someone else and teach them how to do it. So, yeah, I do think a lot of kids now are missing that. Do you think that there's sort of a shift happening now as people are wanting less chemicals in their food and they're wanting to live more sustainably? Do you think that maybe the next generation of children that grow up will have more access to backyard food? I really hope so. I see a lot of promise in 
like the urban farming movement and people just being more conscious about eating local, mm-hmm. reducing pesticide use on their own gardens and their own lawns. I think there's a lot more awareness about the dangers of pesticides and the dangers of commercial farming and just sort of the way that we are commercializing our food chain, but also at the same time ruining its capacity to actually feed us. You know, right. the, the sustainable options are totally possible, but they're only possible if people are invested in it in every local community, you know. So I think that growing awareness, even if it's just, you know, one neighbor has a backyard farm and someone looks over the fence and sees vegetables growing or sees chickens or rabbits or, you know, they get the idea that there can actually be food that doesn't come from a store, that comes from your neighbor's backyard. So when did bees come into the picture? You know, I've always really liked bugs. I just have always thought they were really neat and awesome. And <laughs> and I was always kind of afraid of bees, to be perfectly honest with you. I'd never been stung. So I'm not allergic to anything so far that I know about. So that tells me I'm definitely allergic to something and I haven't encountered it yet. So for my whole life up until like actually fairly recently, I just assumed that it was bees. And I was like, eventually... One of these guys is going to sting me and I'm just going to die. Like, that's going to be the end of it. So I was hiking. You get used to, like, there's just a lot of bugs and there's a lot of things that, like, sting and itch and hurt and bother you. So you just don't, like, after a while, you kind of just don't even notice anymore. Yeah. Or you just, you don't give it any significance in your mind. So I had this hat that had kind of a flap that hangs down the back to protect my neck. I'm a redhead. I've got very pale skin. So trying to cover up was important. And a little something flew into it next to my neck and kind of got <laughs> caught in between that flap. And I didn't even really notice. Like, I kind of casually, like, flicked it away and it kind of itched and it felt weird. And then I just forgot about it for days, like probably three or four days. And then I got into town and my neck felt, like, really hot and itchy and weird. And I was like, damn it. Because sometimes you forget to put sunscreen on one spot and then you get a burn there. And I thought, oh, I've probably just been stupid and did that. And I looked in the mirror and the stinger was still in my neck. Like literally in like Oh my in God. My neck. Yep. <laughs> For days. Whoa. So I was like, okay, I'm totally not allergic to these. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't imagine. <laughs> So that was pretty hilarious. Um, but it turns out that so my fiance is allergic to some stinging insects. And flashback to 2015, we thought that it included honeybees. And um, right now, we actually think it doesn't. And um, we think that what he's actually allergic to are like the yellow jackets and stinging wasps. They have mm-hmm. a different profile of venom. But anyway, when we were hiking and when we got here, he was like, I will totally die. If you have honeybees, like I will just still sting me and I'll die and it'll be terrible and that'll be back. So I just did a lot of learning. You know, I read a lot of books. I took a beekeeping class here locally and I just was like, this has to happen, but I don't know how because like, you know, I love him and I don't want them to sting him and have him die. You know, that's yeah. like a really <laughs> poor ending to a lovely story, right? <laughs> and so a year, maybe a year and a half went by. And I was like, hey, wait a second. What if I put the bees someplace else? Like, 
what if they just weren't where you were at? Like, I could maybe, I could visit the bees, and you could not visit the bees, and then that would, you know. And he was like, oh, yeah. Why didn't we think of that a year ago? Um, so I sent an email to the president of our local uh, talent garden club here in town, and I was like, so this is a little weird, but do you think that any of the gardeners would like to have a hive or a couple of hives in their backyard? I would take care of the bees and, you know, if there's any honey, which there probably won't be the first year, you know, I'd be happy to share it, but you'd get pollination and it's kind of cool. And she wrote right back to me five minutes later and was like, I'm not forwarding it to anybody who put your bees in my backyard. Wow. So, yeah. So I started out <laughs> with two hives. At the time, the city was doing a lot of spraying, and the local people nearby were spraying the gardens a whole lot. And so uh, those two hives made it all the way through winter, and they were actually doing quite well. And the first warm, beautiful day in spring, I went and I checked on them. They were great. I saw one of the queens. I was like, oh, my God, I'm the best beekeeper in the world. This is with my 100% success rate. Like, I was like, oh, I'm great. Yeah. And as I was walking home, they're like 10 blocks from my house. So I'm walking home, and there's a guy with this spray backpack spraying the flowers. And I'm literally watching the bees. Like, they're bringing pollen. Like, he's spraying on them. <laughs> literally oh my god um, and I was like this is so bad like you have no idea I finally just got to check on these beautiful bugs and they're alive and they're flying and they're collecting the stuff that you're spraying and like you're actually spraying on them do you see that one right there you know like I was like this is so bad like please for the love of all things holy like just stop what you're doing right now and he was like this is my job I can't stop oh. what I'm doing right now like I have to feed my kids and this is how I do it and I'm really sorry. I can't wait till later. And they were dead the next week. They were all dead. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, dead brood, dead bees, dead queens, dead everybody. That's horrible. So I, that's why I was a little nervous about moving the bees up to Klamath because I thought, you know, here in town they've got so many gardens. Everybody's got these beautiful flowers. It's a bee city. Like, it's, you know, they've got all this stuff. But unfortunately, they were also just being exposed to a lot of pesticides down here. And up where my land is, there's not a lot being farmed in that area. There's not a lot of people living in that area. And our land abuts about 2.3 million acres of wilderness land. And so there's just a ton of wildflowers. And it's not wilderness land that's being actively managed. So it's not really being sprayed. And so they flourished up there. They've been, they built up much faster than I expected them to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that's sort of the story of how, how I got into it. Do you think that where they're at now, there's also less bee colony density? You know, that's one of the things I'm trying to figure out. And, you know, if any of your listeners are out there in the Bonanza, Bly, Klamath Mountain kind of area, I would love to hear more about who's keeping bees out there. There's a great Klamath. Basin Beekeepers Association, and so I've been reaching out with them because I'm really interested to find out within a 5 and 10, 20-mile radius uh, how many hives there are. Mm-hmm. I do know that I saw on the way from here to there, there are two sets of beehives, so I know that there's at least two. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them's pretty close to town, and the other one's actually, I think, within the 20-mile radius of the land, but I, there's definitely a lot more people keeping bees down in the Rogue Valley 
than high up in the mountains. And part of that's just population density, but part of it's also, you know, we're at 4,500 feet. So it's a long, cold winter with like a pretty gnarly spring. And it's a tough, it's just tough for Mm. them up there. Wow. And were you affected by the smoke from the wildfires last year? The smoke, absolutely. Yeah. Luckily, the fires weren't close enough to our property to actively threaten it for most of fire season. There were a couple of moments where we were, I mean, the whole season we were really tracking everything very carefully, but there were only a couple of times where we were like, okay, this might be really bad. Uh, But it was smoky up there for months, like difficult to breathe, smoky. And I think it did impact the bees. Uh, I think they were foraging less. And I think they were maybe less effective in their foraging. I noticed some weird things with our vegetables because we did vegetables only down in the valley. Um, and even down here, it was it was really terribly smoky. And we had the worst air quality in the nation for quite some time last summer. Mm-hmm. And I noticed, like, our, our tomatoes didn't really turn red. They just stayed green. And, you know, I bring them in the house and they turn red and it was fine, but I'd never actually seen that before. And some local gardeners were saying, you know, the high temperatures combined with the smoke just sort of messes with their process that they were expecting in the environment. And so it doesn't trigger their proper response. That immediately makes me think of, okay, if it's affecting the tomatoes in that way, how is it affecting humans and animals (laughs) that are breathing (laughs) it in? (laughs) What's the forecast for the fire season this year? Do you know? Well, everyone is hoping that it's going to be a lot better. We've had a very wet winter. We've had a very wet spring. Uh, There's quite a bit of snowpack up in the mountains. You know, our land, there's still, it's not snowpack by any stretch, but there's, you know, there's spots of snow that, that are still up there. So the hope is that the amount of moisture is going to really reduce the damage from the fires. And I also see a lot of community preparedness happening. Mm. So here in Jackson County and in Allen Klamath County as well, people are really trying to get the word out about fire breaks, especially for rural areas, and just things like having an emergency plan and considering ahead of time what we would do if a fire was coming to your land or to your property or, you know, where you where you live. So I'm hopeful that it's not going to be as bad as last year. Because yeah, that was, that's so uh, scary. Horrifying. Now, you just won a grant. We did. We did. I, I you know, we entered this contest uh, back in October. We had to submit a whole application, and it was uh, it's a foundation called Greener Fields Together, and they have a Cultivating Change grant competition. They're all um, investing in sustainable farming. Uh, new methods and and bringing back the old methods of really bringing sustainability to our food systems from seed to fork. And so there were a lot of really great farms that were also competing. There were, I think, 140 different farms, and they said 100,000 votes were cast in the whole contest. So, yeah, and we got almost 8,000 of those votes, which to me is just mind-blowing. You were out there promoting every day with social media and reaching out to people. And I think that's really amazing. So now now that I know your career background, that makes total sense. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, everything I've done in life so far has been really useful in developing the skills to get here. Uh You know, the like digging in the dirt as a child and working in community organizing, all of that is still really useful. You know, like I was a mental health worker, I'm a social worker, that's my training and background. That's always useful, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Been kind of great. But yeah, when we first got involved in the contest, I thought, you know, like we have have 500 Facebook friends or like a tiny little farm, you know, like we'll just throw our hat in the ring and see what happens. And the first couple of days, I was totally blown away by how many people were like, I'm going to vote for you every day. I'm going to get my every single friend in my entire office. And like, my grandma's going to vote for you with her tweet Like, People were so committed that I was like, all right, well, let's go to that then. Let's play. You know, like you can't win if you don't play. So we did and we won $6,000 grant, which is like huge and game changing for us. You know, I mean, we just, we're hikers, so we really can do without a lot of the creature comforts that normal humans would have. Uh-huh. And so we pretty much just put every dollar that we have into building this farm, you know. And so the, the $6,000 went a really long way mm. towards getting uh, Toyota Highlander. So it's a, you know, it's a big, beefy vehicle. I've only ever owned one car in my life. This is a 20-year-old, tiny, tiny Toyota Echo. Chris, my my fiancé, calls her the roller skate. I remember the Toyota Echo. (laughs) Yeah. So she's not the greatest farm truck. Uh, But the Toyota Highlander is amazing. We were able to go up to the land. And, you know, it's muddy and gnarly. And the road is crazy. And there's this, like, very very uh do-it-yourself driveway (laughs) (laughs) and this car was just like i don't care this is fine like we didn't sink in the mud or anything it was it was truly truly astounding and it just it means we'll be able to get up and down in all four seasons Mm -hmm. which was one of the big prohibiting factors to moving up there and obviously we also need a house to live in um and that is a prohibitive factor but just you know it was really hard for me over the winter to not be able to check on the bees not that I would have been able to open them up anyway but you know I couldn't even get up there to see if they'd been knocked over oh yeah do you have bears up there you know theoretically we do I have an electric fence um but we've never seen any bear sign and we've talked with all the neighbors and they've never seen a bear either the thing about bears is that they travel (laughs) and it only will take one time ever uh, so we do have a small electric fence. I'm hoping to expand that as we're building out the apiary and make it bigger. Yeah, because um, I feel like they're hiding in the bushes and they're watching. And just every day they're waiting for you to take the fence down. And then they'll make it yeah. <laughs> And then they'll come. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I didn't actually get the fence up until last fall. So I sort of lived in terror the whole time that, like, oh, yeah. you know, I would have procrastinated this task and then a bear would find them and it would be just terrible. And, you know, but it didn't happen. So, and and that's the other thing is I kind of feel like if there are bears in the area, the fact that I had, like, big fat hives full of honey and was, like, you know, when I do inspections, like, I get faster every time, mm-hmm. but I'm still new at this. And so... You know, I feel like if there was a bear anywhere nearby, they would have smelled it and they would have come on by. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that they're not there, but I'm also being cautious and making sure that if they are, they at least have a really nasty surprise if they try to get into the hive. 
So since you are relatively new with beekeeping, are you working with a mentor or do you have a favorite resource that you like for, you know, when you find something you need to troubleshoot? Yeah, so I'm a voracious learner. I really like information. I really like to know a lot of things about a lot of things. And so I've pretty much just been a sponge, like taking in all the information that I can. I'm yeah. um, part of the Master Beekeeper program. I think you're you're in it too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm in the apprentice program. So this year I was paired with a mentor. I did the getting started piece last year, so I got to do all the coursework and in the bees time and get a lot of my requirements taken care of. Oh nice. But they weren't they didn't have enough mentors to be able to match me. But this year I've been matched with a mentor and it's actually pretty cool because it's him and his partner are both mentors and they each have a couple of mentees. And so they're doing four events at their apiary to be able to do to demonstrate the seasonal skills. Oh, and so wow. it'll be um yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's coming up in a week or so. But I'll go to the first one. I'm really excited about it. I've been like, I really like in beekeeping that there's a mentorship culture. Yes. I think that's one of the lost arts is mentoring, you know, mm-hmm. passing on the knowledge. You know, social media and technology has certainly made beekeeping more accessible to more people. I mean, I think about what mm-hmm. it must have been like 50 or 60 years ago. How did people find other beekeepers? How did people teach themselves how to keep bees? You know, I was just reading this really interesting book about the history of honeybees in America. Mm. And it was really interesting. It talked about beekeeping in Europe and then beekeeping. Yeah, it's called Bees in America, How the Honeybee Shaped a Nation by Tammy Horn. And it was absolutely like mind-blowing. I got this book for free. It was like, hey, do you want these bee books? Yes. (laughs) So... Do you even need to ask? <laughs> uh, one of the things I noticed is it was it was familial. You know, your dad was a beekeeper, or your mom was a beekeeper, and so then, you know, you learned that trade and you became a beekeeper. And also that it was just sort of part of community life mm. um, in Europe, and then that was brought with the colonists to America. That you know that was just part of the things that you needed to make and have in order to live. You know, you needed the beeswax and you needed the pollination and you needed the honey uh, because they understood, you know, the, the work that bees were doing in terms of what they were doing with the food. Mm-hmm. They didn't totally understand all the aspects of the hive itself <laughs> and, like, the actual bees and what their personal lives were about. Um, but they did understand that, like, if we want to have certain crops, then we need to have these bugs. Uh, and so it just it seemed like it was more just kind of everybody had them you know in the way that like my grandmother says like everybody had chickens in their backyard mm-hmm. like because you just you need them you know but we've now made a life where we don't think we need them I think we need them I know? need my chickens but, <laughs> yeah right yeah how many chickens do you have you know, we had five chickens, and they were actually adopted by a friend of mine. One of the things that we learned last year was that, okay, well, we didn't actually learn it that throughout. So both of us are wildly optimistic about what we can accomplish in oh. the span of time that we have. Like, both of us are like, let's just go hard. We can do it. We don't need anything. We'll just push hard. Um, <clears throat> and so I was driving. It's a two-hour drive from 
uh, talent up to our land in Bonanza. So I was doing that about three times a week, and I was doing three or four farmers markets per week down here in the valley. So and it was like, okay, drive home, unload car, reload market stuff in car, go to market, go go home, unload car, reload car, drive, you know, and the car I'm talking about is the roller skate. Yeah. So. You know, like putting a whole bunch of soil in the back or like, you know, four nukes in the trunk and one in the back seat, like not, not fun, easy driving. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, okay, this is overwhelming. We had some neighbors that complained. We're pretty close by to our neighbors. Um, and one of them just was very unhappy about the chickens and, and was just being oh. belligerent towards us. And um, our chickens were totally legitimate. We're allowed to have them. They weren't actually behaving badly other than just being chickens. And, you know, they weren't complaining about smell. Uh, but they yell, you know. They're like, oh, oh my yeah. God, oh, my God, hello, <laughs> everybody smell. And, you know, she didn't like that. So I just felt like they would have kind of a it – was, it was actually a spectacular moment. My friend Leah, she has a company called Dancing Dog Figgy Jams, and she makes these incredible fake jams. Uh, from figs that grow on her property mm. and so we met during the markets we were both brand new we were both selling jam and we were like okay like we're gonna be little and scrappy and take the time by store you know? <laughs> so she was chatting with me one day at the booth and I was saying like how stressed out I was about the chickens and she was like you know <clears throat> we moved here from Ohio and we had to get rid of our chickens and my daughters were heartbroken, and, you know, we've been here a year now. They have a horse ranch, and their daughters do competitive um, horse stuff. And so she was like, we've been so lonely with no chickens. And I was like, well, you know, my girls are, like, three years old. They're not, like, laying like they used to and yada, yada. And she was like, they sound perfect. Oh, my God. And I was like, can you come to my house today? <laughs> and she thought I was kidding. And I was like, I am not kidding, like. You would clearly love these birds and cherish them, and they'd have, like, space to roam. Apparently, they really like to harass the horses. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, so they were rehomed, and, and it was it was really great. Um, it gave us a bunch more space in the garden area for pollinator plants because, mm-hmm. as you know, chickens and plants, not so much. I was like, I'll grow them a chicken garden. They can just continuously forage on their chicken garden, and then it was gone. They just like five completely minutes. decimated. Like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's our plants. They got into my garden once. Yeah, we have a fence, and it was like it was my spring garden that had been like carefully loved upon, and like every little plant that was in there, I was like, I know you since you were tiny seed, and I like loved on you every day, multiple times. Like you are alive, hooray! Like, <laughs> and literally, like five minutes I heard them because they were super excited they were like yes so they were making like really happy chicken noises and I was like oh no oh god no they sound too happy what are they doing <laughs> and I went out there and literally they'd eaten everything in the garden down to the nub oh, I was like okay no. well we're not gonna have spring broccoli <laughs> nope they <laughs> did they did they decimated the whole spring garden last year my hen crowed like a rooster this morning (laughs) she's definitely not a rooster i've had her for a while she is a hen but this morning i heard some really weird noises i was still in bed and i could tell one of the birds was on the back patio which is just outside of my bedroom and so i got up and i looked out the window and she's standing there 
And the sun is shining on her. It's like seven o'clock in the morning, so it's sunrise. And she totally postured and crowed like a rooster. I didn't know they could do that. You know, we had one bird in our flock. We actually named her rooster for this reason, but she took on that protective role of the rooster. (laughs) So, like, if a cat or a bird or something was in the backyard, the other four would hide, and she would, like, go towards and attack and, like, flap and do, yeah. And she grew spurs eventually. Oh, my gosh. Like, she laid an egg every day. She was a girl, but she grew spurs. And I'd never seen that either. So I like I went in all the chicken groups and I was like, "What is this? Does she have a tumor? Oh God!" You know? And they said some of them just do that, you know. But to me, it was fascinating because it was like, it's not their biological sex. It's like the flock needs someone to play this role. And if there's not a rooster, then one of them is just going to do that job. It was oh like, gosh. wow, okay, collective economics here. I haven't caught any swarms yet. I am on the local list, so when swarms become available, kind of the first beekeeper to grab that swarm um, gets to keep it. It's a pretty cool little system they've got going, so I'm hopeful that I'll get to do my first swarm catch this year. But you know, because I'm new, I'm thinking like I don't want to try to catch a swarm that's like super high up in a tree, or you know. <laughs> so I'm sort of waiting for that beautiful like swarm on a fence or on a stump or a sunflower yeah (laughs) yeah Um, so pray for me to get the easy form that just goes right in the box and comes home it's like yay right so yeah I'm not actually expecting that that will be how it goes so far with beekeeping it's just you know it's it's been a lot harder than I thought it would be Mm. but I've also learned that I'm a lot tougher than I thought I was you know so like it can be really scary I don't know if you have this feeling or like all of a sudden, you're like, oh, God, there's a lot of bees, and they're all mad at me. and all things. <laughs> I didn't anticipate that. It's just, you know, you're fine, and you're working them, and then you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, there's a lot of sparks here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. it's wonderful when there's a lot of them, yeah. and they're all just gentle puppies. But, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a whole other thing when they're rabid and chasing after you. <laughs> I had a couple hives last year that were just really hot. And honestly, I don't mind that. I think one of the disservices that we've done to bees over time is bringing them to be gentle. Because mm-hmm. it seems to me like they have a really valuable resource and they actually need to defend it, which is why they evolved to do that. Mm-hmm. And if we take that away from them, well, you know, we can't really wonder why they're weak. We bred them to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't like, oh, these are hot hives, let me requeen them. I was just kind of like, let's see how this plays out. I'll probably get stung a bunch more. That's fine. I have some arthritis, so when I get stung, it still sucks, but there's a benefit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but it was really funny. So we went up to check on things in late January, early February to land and, and check on everything. And we had these game cameras. And so I, the last time I'd been up there was October, and the bees were super mad, and they chased me all over the land, like, <laughs> everywhere. Like, I went onto the neighbor's property. It's a five-acre property, so that tells you how mad. They were so mad. They were, like, in the pockets of my bee suit, and, like, oh. I was just like, oh, I'm going to die out here, and I was by myself, you know. I was like, oh, God. Gonna be me until I die, like, you know. And all I'm doing is just, like, wandering around the property, like, 
okay, ladies, I'm, I'm done. I've closed your home. I will not. I won't come back for a really long time. I promise. You know? <laughs> um, anyway, so so flash forward to February, we're checking through the game cameras, and there's like there's a random rabbit that keeps coming through, and there's like a couple of deer, and there's like the neighbor's dog, and then he's like, and Chris is like cracking up laughing. I'm like, what? What is on the game camera? And he's like, you being chased by bees. <laughs> <laughs> over the whole winter that's all that was on our property was yeah me being chased by bees and few little random animals so yeah so i i don't mind them being so mad um do you have a clip of that you know i keep saying that he needs to take a video because what i'll do so i just walk slowly away from the apiary and sometimes i'll raise my hands above my head because they seem to like to go for the highest point oh. and they're smart enough to know where your face is but yeah. if they're really angry sometimes you can encourage them to be a little bit away from your face it increases the anxiety like you know i have a veil on and all that stuff but they're coming at your face it's nerve-wracking you know um so i'll just like walk down to the property line with bees you know like a cloud of bees around me so he'll he'll see that from across the property and be laughing at me like next time take a video it's hilarious like it'll be so funny i have a pink bee suit and not because I'm like super into pink, but because it was actually cheaper than the white or the yellow. Oh, so wow. I was like, beekeeping is expensive. I'll get the cheap suit, um, which <laughs> I really wouldn't recommend you ask if I had any advice. I'm going to buy a, a nice ventilated bee suit mm-hmm. because it's just brutal to care for, especially multiple hives where you have to be out there for a while in the sun. I've just, I was like putting cold packs in my pocket. Yeah. Going back in, trying not to dive like a sweatband, you know, so it's like, yeah. Yeah. So I would recommend paying good money for a good suit. Uh, the ventilated suits, I definitely think that they're worth it. I mean, it still is hot, but at least you mm-hmm. can, you know, if if there's a breeze, it feels really good when it blows through your suit. And I honestly <laughs> think that they are, they are more stink proof than just the regular like cotton poly bee suits mm-hmm. that are out there. I mean, they really do offer excellent protection. Yeah, and I get stung through my suit all the time, so mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's any worse than that. You know what I mean? It might be better, but I don't think it could be worse. The layers of material are so thick that they're stingers. Even if mm-hmm. they tried, the stinger isn't long enough to get through. Yeah, I do get I do get stung a lot. My first, when I installed the hives, <laughs> my first little nucleus hives, <laughs> so I, I picked them up from the, the local bee breeder guy. And he didn't have any gear on or anything. He just, like, picked up the nuke boxes and he stuck them in the trunk and he closed the trunk and I drove off. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, and I, I had my bee suit in the car with me. But when I got to my my talent garden club president's backyard, you know, it was nighttime, and I, I pulled in and I was like, I'm not going to put on all that stuff. Oh. It'll be fine. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I pick up the first nuke box, and there's like a few bees in the trunk because obviously these things just never seal. Like yeah. no matter what you do, they're they're going to leak out. And I didn't know that. I was like, they're in the box. They seem like they'll stay in the box. <laughs> and of course, like the trunk has a light, so they got really excited. Uh huh. So I'm just like, okay. I'm just going to commit to this plan and keep going. Um, and I, I, you know, I picked up the nuke box and I, and I managed to get the first one. I put it on this little stand and I came back and 
the 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 second box was the one that had the Lupini, but I still didn't pause and like I could have put the suit on, you know. I had it. That's why I had. It. That's why I bought it, you yeah. know. Uh, but I was feeling all like badassy and like thinking about like, well, if you just picked up the noose, it's fine. So I pick up the noose box and um, immediately a bee crawls up my arm and like into the like space of my t-shirt and my arm. Oh. Yeah, but I've got the box and it's it's surprisingly heavy. It's heavier than the first one was. <laughs> like I'm kind of a small person, you know. It's awkward <laughs> like getting them out of the trunk too. So so I'm like, okay, well this is terrible and there's like more bees are now coming out of the box you know um and i didn't know what this was at the time but it smelled a little bit of bananas oh god as fun as i thought it was gonna be at all and i'm on like a public street you know she's she lives in town so i so i have the new box and i'm like trying to walk really really slowly towards the thing and, and I, I put the new box down and I, like, walk back to where the car is, and then I just panic. Like, I had been so calm because there was, like, a really big, heavy box of bees in my hand, and, you know, I was, like, able to manage up until that point. Oh. And then I, like, I just freaked out. And, like, I started swatting, which is really smart. Oh, no. Everybody should do that when you have a bee in your shirt. <laughs> so I started swatting, and she stung me. You know, she stung me, like, right on the back of the arm. And I looked down at her, and she was, like, sad and dying on the sidewalk, and and I felt so bad. I felt so bad. I was like, oh, this is my fault. I've done this to you. Like, the first thing I've done to the bees is kill one of them. And I'm terrible. This is terrible, you know. And she just looked at me, and I swear to God, the look on her face was like, it was worth it, sucker. Wow. Like, she did not regret that choice at all. She was That's just cool. like, you disturbed my home. You scared me. And I'm good with this. And I was like, okay. I'm going to have to get a lot more hardcore to do this. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's weird because that thing, every time I get stung, it's false. Just yeah. that one. What? That's yep. so weird. She mm-hmm. implanted you with something. <laughs> I know, right? Like some kind of bee love vector, I don't, you know. <laughs> That's wild. It felt really significant because I've been afraid about getting stung and I was like worried about the anticipation of when is it going to happen so I was like okay well I don't have to worry about that anymore <laughs> and you know you're like the only person I've ever met that's walked around with a stinger in their neck for four days <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me truly like because I knew what it was right away as soon as I saw it wow. and then I remembered that moment of like oh yeah that did kind of hurt well thank you for sharing those stories it's been so much fun talking with you great well it's been so fun thank you so much this is really great to learn more about ruby and valhalla organics head over to my blog at waggleworkspdx.com for those of you in the southern oregon area or those of you who are wanting a little road trip I'll be participating as a vendor at the Oregon Honey Festival and speaking at the Feminine Legacy and Beekeeping Conference, which is being held in Ashland, Oregon on May 18th and 19th. I have details for that event posted on my website. Until next time, may the buzz be with you.
Beekeeper Confidential is a Waggle Works production and is written and produced by Mandy Shaw. Sorry, my mind just went blank. <laughs> All good. There's just so much to talk about. I know, gosh. And I well, and I have like I'm I'm wearing headphones, and so when I talk, I'm hearing myself talk, and that's well, it's kind of freaking oh, me no. out. <laughs> <laughs>